we're back. It's good to be fine. It is. We're all still alive here on episode 17 of the Split Take Podcast, and we are happy to welcome our good friend Nick Johnson, who you you will remember from our decade best of the yeah best of the decade episodes. And Did you uh, see how long that was, Nick. Jacob. No one listened to that, dude. What? No, not a soul yeah. listened to that. That was way too long. Yeah, it, it, it's a piece of shit. <laughs> I like it. Anyway, Nick, uh, do you want to introduce yourself real quick? Hi, uh, my name's Chandler Chavez. Uh, I directed Hulk Hands. If you ever had a chance to watch <laughs> that. Uh, my name's Nick Johnson. <laughs> I am a film and media editor. Hi, my name's Nick Johnson, and I am a film and media editor. And I make movies, and I go to ASU still. Well, pretty is the the, the slightest definition of going to somewhere that you can possibly have. Um, but I graduate in May, and I edit all of Chandler's films and hopefully one day all of Jacob's films when he trusts me with that. When, when I actually get to film around to filming another short film. Yes. Sure. It's not that I didn't trust hopefully you. You'll, it's hopefully just you'll that, pick me over. Hopefully you'll pick me over Katie this time. Hey, for the capstone, I had to pick a editor from our class. So I could not pick Nick, which. Hey man, whatever, whatever helps you sleep at night. Actually, I didn't sleep last night. It was terrible. I, oh, I never sleep anymore, dude. It's horrible. Oh, big Existential dread. I do nothing but sleep. But I, I bet that you are at the very least happy that you don't have to drive all the way down to Tempe. Oh my God, it's great. I only had to do it once a week, but now that once a week isn't at all, so it's great. Yeah, well, Great things. Nice change of pace. Well, after this semester, we're all going to be graduated, and you're heading out to L.A. later this year, which is very cool. Um, Maybe. Maybe not. Well, that was the plan before Corona. I was just going to wait until it all. I mean, I was going to do it early next year anyways, but no. Well, I mean, yeah, with like, obviously I don't want to be in LA with what's going on, but the, the situation at hand is just, I just lost all my income opportunities because of Corona, unfortunately. So, um, I kind of have to rework, rework my budget. So we'll see if that comes into fruition, but yes, I plan on moving to LA eventually. Well, we all do. Yes. Maybe, maybe Except it might happen a little later than expected because of. The end of the is world. Nate also moving to LA? I haven't asked Nate. We're not sure. We gotta get him out. We gotta get him the hell out of there. Atlanta, stop, dude! It stinks. It smells bad. But there's a lot of production, though. That's He's true. not wrong there. But if we're gonna go somewhere just for production opportunities, I'd much rather go to Vancouver. I would love Vancouver, except it's Vancouver sounds so, so nice. expensive. Hey, you shut up. Hey, I'm not a big <laughs> fan of snow, so most of Canada's is Vancouver is actually one of the warmest cities in Canada and it doesn't get all that much okay. snow. Okay. I'll be all right. Well, then let's go. Montreal is the cold one. I don't know. Have you been Do they have corona there? They have corona everywhere. I know, that was the joke. Oh, Ironically, sad. not too much in Africa. I guess AIDS overpowers corona. <laughs> it's like a Jacob, like I swear to god, I know you edit these episodes, but if that doesn't make it in, <laughs> Okay, I don't. I have I been just officially subsumed a lot less. I am. I'm just waiting for that one comment to come up 23 years from now when Hulk Hands Two is nominated for a screenplay Oscar, <laughs> and I am canceled. I thought when you meant when it was a uh, Chavez Chavez fif- or 2050 when you were running for president, and then this clip nope. of an of a obscure podcast comes out. <laughs> Look, if I were to, if I were to rank everyone I know 
on who is most likely to run for president, Chandler Chavez is near the bottom of that list. Oh, I'm going to be honest. Of, of most people I know, I think Chandler might be the bottom of the list. Just in general, for everything. Probably. Mm-hmm. I, All well, I'm actually, I have that... to be on the bottom of that list because I am legally ineligible to run for the presidency. It's true. He's Jewish. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Thank so you for I'm that. I'm covering all my bases for when I get canceled in 30 years. I'm glad I also came up with that joke and Chandler just beat me to it. But <laughs> All right. So, wow. There's, we're, there's so much coronavirus news and yet so little because Hollywood is literally just entirely shut down because of this. Yeah. I know, man. I was so... I was so excited for Tenet. And French Dispatch the, got delayed. French yeah, Dispatch was a good one. That's the only me. one that has made me sad. That is that did make me kind of sad when I heard about it. It's still that. coming out. I was out, very excited for that. Yeah, I know. Just a little later. Yeah, but then yeah. at the end of the day, I mean, I'll wait as long as I need for Wes Anderson. I just wish it would have been sooner. <laughs> yeah, Tenet and Royal Dispatch are the big ones. Royal Dispatch. Dune. Love it. Dune. Dune, uh, Dune, uh, Dune uh, do, did Dune get pushed back? No, Dune. Maybe Dune got the uh, suspended, like the production. I don't know where Dune, it is. They haven't said anything about Dune yet, but I'll be honest, Dune, before this whole thing happened, was probably going to bomb anyways, but oh. now that everything... I No, I'm not saying it's not going to be good. I'm saying it's going to bomb. Yeah. Now that think it's gonna bomb? everything is getting pushed back, because it is... It's an adaptation of a sci-fi novel that everybody loves, but nobody's read. That's pretty much it, actually. I did loan you my copy. One of you. You did. You did. You loaned it to me, and as soon as I'm finished reading The Long Goodbye, I will read well, it. Well, all I have to say is I am so excited for Dune because it's like Star Wars, but better. Like Blade Runner. Hopefully, because Denis Villeneuve is doing it. Someone has my someone has my Sydney Lament book. I don't know where the hell that is. Jacob. That's point. how we fix that. Oh no! no Jacob that gave was, it back to me. I gave that was it. Oh, Brandon Sanju has it. Shoutouts to name yeah, drop for Brandon, Brandon Sanju. That fucker's yeah. never gonna give it back because of fucking Corona. You're just I'm you're just handing your stuff back. out. Oh, you know what? I forgot you can't cuss on this podcast. Oh, I've already no, cussed can. at least a couple times. Oh well, it's just gonna give Jacob more work. No, I'm gonna get a little a little more lax on that. I usually scream into the mic as soon as I cuss, so he can just observe the peak from a distance and cut it out. <laughs> I'm gonna do the opposite, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna step away about 15 feet from the microphone every time I scream, so that it's so quiet that it you just can never find it. Oh, okay. And it'll just be hidden in there, and you won't be able to blur it. Well, I, uh, then I don't think the sensors will pick up on it, and it'd be like it'd be like it'd be like, fuck, Did that work. I couldn't hear that. Did you say something? We were just talking about cities, and I thought someone was gonna throw in a transition. Oh, but well, I was trying to, but then... You were like, what? You know what's also a great city to film in? Uh, well... Nashville. Nashville. <laughs> so, I, I've been to Nashville once in my life. Have you? Yeah, that, it was when Nate and I went on our grand cross-country oh, road, road trip, trip yeah. to get Jack the dog from Ohio. And on our way back, we drove through Nashville. And Nashville looked like a good town. But I was only I there for two I can't imagine minutes. that road trip where you're passing by all these amazing cities and then you stop. The end point is Cleveland. <laughs> Technically, it was on the way back, Nashville. Could you imagine if the movie we watched was just called Cleveland? Ugh. 
probably be a lot sadder. All Robert right. Altman epic. Flynn. So, this week, we we finally got Nick on the podcast, and we got him to watch Nashville. So, Nashville's not on the BFI list, just so everyone's no, clear on that. We just picked it because there's not really any new movies to watch. Um, yeah, I feel like this is just going to be the norm. Well, from now on, there have been... just you guys should just start taking recommendations from listeners. We should. Oh, you know what's funny? This is the time to do it. Yeah, it is. So Nick will recommend. No, I don't know. Actually, Nick we'll do a poll. Maybe. Us. Yeah, we'll give him some oh, that'd options. That'd be cool. Yeah, come up with like five good options and have them vote. That's There's a, also that's been a good idea. like independent theaters have been streaming. So that's Ooh. there are technically new movies. I was gonna see if you guys wanted to do like a we just watch all the movies at south by southwest and talk about it that would be a yeah a south by southwest online episode yeah that'd be good Mm -hmm. could do that we are getting yet again off topic so we watched anyways let's talk about a very long boring movie instead (laughs) so we watched nashville this this week nashville is a 1975 movie by the director robert altman it is two hours and 41 minutes long and it is a a movie that Chandler recommended that we watch. And I just bumped my mic. Yes. Now, here's here's the thing. I recommended this because I found it vaguely similar to Yee Yee. And now that you've seen it, can you see why I think it's vaguely similar? I see what you mean by that. I yes. think there are some critical differences. And as a result... I don't love Nashville as much as I do Yee Yee. I fucking called it Chandler. Chandler and I were talking about this. I told I told Chandler after, right after I watched it. I wa- I texted Chandler talking about it, and he was like, "I'm telling you right now, I I don't think Jacob's gonna like this movie." And I'm like, "I don't. I think it's fifty fifty. I think he either hates this movie or loves this movie. And I don't think it's anywhere in between." And I I predicted that you would hate it. It kind of sounds like he just said in between. I very specifically phrased that in that I don't love it as much as ye. Well, you don't uh, love a lot of things as much as ye. This is true. It. I don't know if you noticed, but I remade my. I did. It's back on the list. My yeah. favorite. It. It jumped quite a bit. Yeah, it's uh, a good movie. But no, so it's it's interesting that ye is kind of this large epic of a family, and it's just kind of showing you little vignettes of their life. Actually, not even vignettes. Mm-hmm. Vignettes is the wrong word. Little scenes of their life, little conflicts that are happening, and it ultimately comes yeah. to a point at the end. Um, kind yeah. of ties it all back together. And Nashville, I do see the similarities where it is this kind of grand scope narrative following a bunch of people. This time, completely unrelated for the most part. And then eventually... They, they never they, really come together. They kind of come together at the end, but... They're in the not same really. place. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's the most they ever come together. Yeah. So, do we want to go around and and state our general thoughts on Nashville? I'll start because I feel like it's going to be a gradual de-escalation from here. But I love this movie. I really, really like this movie. I saw it for the first time like a month and a half ago because of you know I'm very interested. I read a lot of um, read and watch a lot of behind the scenes stuff, and a lot of my favorite directors cite altman as a really big inspiration and i know one person who especially loves altman and this movie is paul thomas anderson as i'm sure jacob you could see the magnolia connection i was gonna say if you didn't bring it up it is i'll comment on that later continue uh 
I just I really like this movie because it's so unlike anything else, really, where it's kind of about everything. And there's a lot of characters, but you don't really know what's going on with any of them. They're all just brought together by this one location and this one time in American culture. But every character feels fleshed out without having to go too deep into who they are. It's a big fly on the wall movie, and I like being the fly on the wall. But then other than the location, I feel like they're all kind of brought together by similar goals and aspirations, too, which I mean, I guess we can. I mean, discuss, yeah, but. they are. And, you know, before you, I, you know, you guys get into it, I think that what appeals to me uh, about Nashville as it's depicted in this um, movie is that it's almost like redneck Hollywood. Yep. That's what it is. Where everybody moves out there with the same goals to be a country star, but they have this sort of feeling of inclusivity that we're all in this together. It's almost like a super, super cynical Bible Belt town where it appears so friendly and nice on the outside, but on the inside, it's just as dirty and uh, just as corrupt as something like Hollywood. Yeah. So, Nick, what are your general thoughts? I'll preface my opinion of this film by uh, kind of breaking down the situation at which I watched it. So it came after a long day of just sitting on my computer for probably like nine hours working on shit. And I was really tired and I checked my letterbox right after and I realized it had been a significant amount of time since I watched a movie and a significant amount of time for us is like seven to 10 days since I had watched a movie and it made me anxious. So I immediately pulled one off the shelf and I knew I had to do it for this podcast. So I put it on. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm excited to relax and just watch a film, not have to think too much. And then I watched possibly the most thematically dense multitude of characters, all with different personalities. There's like five million things going, I don't know, kind of going I don't know on. a single character's name. Oh, not at all. Not not at all. Yeah. I, I can just I can tell you every single character and their point in the film, but I can't tell you a single name. But I think I'm so on the fence about this movie because I, I was, I was, I will admit, I mean, I was sending you guys Snapchats of, of me joking that I was asleep while watching it because it, it was slow, but I don't think I can say anything about the movie was necessarily bad. So I don't, I, I, I don't want to blame me finding it slow on the film and perhaps maybe just my mindset at the time. That's kind of why I prefaced. But I, I think the editing is great, and I think the script is is insane. The fact that they got all these characters to work in a narrative, and I mean, it's was previously a television show, apparently. But um, no, it's it wasn't previously a television show. What I meant by that was they when they finished filming, they had so much film, so much footage to work through that they originally started to cut it as a ten-hour miniseries before they decided to cut it as a movie. Hmm. Good Lord. There was another eight hours of footage. That they there make is this film. 30 something miles of film. Good. Good Lord. Okay. Yeah. Well, that explains a lot. Um, but I would say if I had to, if I had to, uh, shorten my answer, I would say this film is great. Definitely worth watching. Definitely done well. Um, and I won't break it down any further until we, go further than that but 
I guess Jacob, what are what what did you think? I'm interest I'm so interested in hearing what you think. I think that's probably why I'm the most excited to do this podcast. Okay. So a little I've talked a little bit about Robert Altman on the podcast before, but I will just reiterate that I am not as big on Robert Altman as I think a lot of people are. I find him same and his I find his films to be just lacking not like good but good in a lacking way that i've never felt really satisfied by a experience watching his movies i'd say that uh mccabe and miss miller is my by far my favorite of his mm-hmm. and i have a very particular uh hatred of mash and then the only other one i've seen is the player and that's uh, a solid i don't like the player eh, from me yeah so I don't really have much to go off of. Uh, so I will admit that freely that I this is my fourth Robert Altman film. And I have to say that Nashville was surprisingly engaging for me. <laughs> I was not expecting it to grip me the way it did. And I was not expecting to find it all so interesting in the way that I did. And I'll, and I'll preface by saying this isn't necessarily the movie for me. And I am not the audience that likes country music or anything that's going on in this film whatsoever. Mm. And despite that, I like it. I like it quite a bit. I think it's a great movie. And I think it is for the reason that I love I love movies that are very specific time capsules of a place, (laughs) specifically in like American history of like this nation that, you know, there's not a culture. There's a culture that kind of forms from this melting pot, this weird thing that we have going on here. And Nashville Mm. is such a incredibly dense movie of the 70s like it's a microcosm of the south of nashville of the 70s of so much you can learn so much about that time period from watching this movie and that's what i found personally interesting i just wrote down the comment the hair the clothes the culture that's what i like watching it and like what were people thinking in the 70s that any of this was okay and yeah. that's what, what I really mean, it's drew not me as in. egregious it's not as egregious as something like the 70s or the 80s but of all the things like the the fashion of the country stars is what i found to be especially <laughs> just weird shelly duvall is like 50 pounds in this movie shelly duvall looks like a um oh a freeze-dried human being <laughs> or like Shelley vacuum looks like a human being hole. that's it shelly duvall weighs about 45 pounds with the clothes on in this film yeah, and I just wanted to tell her to eat the whole time and stop going over uh, after weird men. See, I'll I'll be honest. Okay, this uh, I'm gonna I'm just gonna read the opening paragraph to Roger Ebert's re-review, um, because Roger Ebert. Oh, is he back? Know, no, he's he's still dead, I believe. Still dead. Um, okay, but he had. Damn. I don't know if anybody is familiar with Roger Ebert, but he had you know his standard four star rating, 
And then he had a list of movies called great movies where he would reevaluate them. And if he found them to be even better than he originally thought, it's a great movie. Nashville was re-reviewed in August of 2000 and is considered to be a great movie. And the opening paragraph is taking down Pauline Kael's 1976 collection reeling to reread her famous review of Nashville. I find a yellow legal sheet marking the page my notes for a class I taught on the film. What is this story about? I wrote. The film may be great because you can't really answer that question. And I do think that that's accurate because the whole thing is just one giant time capsule of American culture and how the American culture affects this specific city. Because I think Nashville is one of the most uniquely American cities in the entire country. Because not only is it a booming music scene, it's a booming music scene of a genre of music that appeals to only Americans. I think Nashville, if you were ranking American cities as like pure Americanism, it's up there Mm -hmm. with like L.A., New York, Chicago as having its own like identity beyond america like if someone outside of america yeah like oh nashville miami florida perhaps i don't kind of uh so what's interesting about this is i think the reason uh being is that um so the the movie was written by a woman named joan tewksbury who is also a director who directed a few things mainly theater a few movies before this she took a trip to nashville for some theater thing and she wrote like a diary about her time there. And when she got back to L.A., she thought it was such an odd and interesting city that she went back there for a month and just wrote the entire script based on her experience. So she's like a the BBC the things... reporter. Yeah, well, we'll get to that. Uh, so a lot of what happens in the movie is what happened to her when she flew back to Nashville. There was a giant pileup as she was coming out of the airport and she was stuck there for two hours um she witnessed the insane uh mayor mayoral um campaign of some dude who drove around with those speakers um but she had written this giant script something like 170 pages of just her experiences laid out into these little short stories and robert altman found it gave it to all of his actors when he started making the movie And then when he started shooting the movie, he told all the actors on day one to throw out the scripts because he was going for a very naturalistic improv report or uh, a type of movie. Um, But I've seen original drafts of the scripts and it's hilarious because I don't know if you know in screenwriting, when you have two characters that are talking over each other, you do double columns, you know, just two Mm. next to each other. There are parts in the script that are five columns. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, and I don't know if you've heard this story about the premiere of um, McCabe and Miss Miller, Jacob, but uh, is it Warren Beatty? He's in that movie, right? Yeah. Is he the? Is, yeah. Or, so when Warren Beatty attended Beatty? the premiere of Mc, no, Ned Beatty's in this movie. He's the guy who does some the, Beatty um, is in the movie. Yeah, Warren Beatty. It's Warren Beatty. When Warren Beatty attended the premiere of McCabe and Miss Miller, he was sitting right next to Robert Altman and he'd only shot the film. He hadn't seen any editing. You know how McCabe and Miss Miller has a lot of that overlapping dialogue sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, About 20 minutes into the movie, Warren Beatty just turned to Robert Altman and said, is this how the whole movie's going to sound? And Robert Altman went, yes. And Warren Beatty left. (laughs) (laughs) Left? So it's strange by today's standards. I can only imagine how crazy this must have been in the 70s. Well, it's interesting watching it today because it is 
we do have that historical perspective and distance from the time period that it was mm-hmm. made. And then you have actors like Shelley Duvall. You have Jeff Goldblum in this. Who says nothing. And he just he rides say, on his trike. I didn't even realize it was Jeff Goldblum until the end of the film. When you I had, only realized you it was him because you have that one it. shot of him in the audience at the um, rally where it's just so clearly Jeff Goldblum. Mm-hmm. But every other shot yeah. of him in the film... It doesn't look like him at all. Well, he's all. mostly obscured by sunglasses. I was waiting the whole. I was waiting yeah. the. Yeah, I was waiting the whole movie for him to pop up. It's the most Jeff the, Goldblum the, motorcycle too. That he that, could oh, it that is. Motorcycle. It definitely is. And I love the joke. They like make a joke about Easy Rider too. It was such Easy Rider. Everyone has those stupid bags. And then the the son of the country singer guy. He kind of looked like oh, Jesse his, Plemons to me. I don't know if yeah oh, he does that's what i was saying i was thinking that too i was gonna make a joke about it in the group chat is if they remade nashville they're gonna have to get jesse plemons because it literally is jesse plemons it is they have the same mannerisms they have a similar face it, it was weirding me out so um another interesting character in this movie is the bbc reporter mm-hmm. whose name is opal and do you know who she's played by mm-hmm. geraldine chaplin that's charlie familiar. chaplin's daughter oh yeah, that's great. You, you can go back and see, but see her character, for example, is a reason. Just there's little details about her character that kind of sum up why I love this movie so much. So she is the reporter, the BBC reporter, um, and she goes around asking people, uh, just interviewing people, has the microphone, interviewing, latching onto the famous people, and not affiliating herself with the non-famous people. And there is a line when she's talking to, again, I don't know her name, the mother of the death children. Do you remember? You know that character. Yes. The character, yes. Who's married to Ned Beatty um, in the movie. Uh, But she introduces herself when she uh, talks to the mother of the deaf children saying, my name is Opal. I am with the British Broadcasting Company, the BBC. And when she says that, the mother of the deaf children kind of gives her this quizzical look and then continues on talking to her. It's because it's the British Broadcasting Corporation, not the company. So it's pretty obvious through another a lot of the other little bits that this woman is not really with the BBC. She's just kind of using that as a disguise to, you know, talk to people but it's these tiny little details that you can infer so much about these characters and their lives without being explicitly told and that's why i kind of like this movie because you you're not looking at stories you're hanging around and around in places and sort of eavesdropping it's kind of a tapestry of people's lives of just little Mm -hmm. little segments little colors little flashes of who they are and you don't ever really get to know any one of them too well yeah, and that's that is. I'm surprised you know, this enough. works as well as it does. Yeah, that's what. When I saw this movie for the first time, I was about thirty minutes into it, where I just paused and I'm like, okay, I felt like a mess. Missed a lot. I looked at the plot synopsis on Wikipedia, and they said it has a very unconventional structure. So at that point, I just stopped reading. So I'm like, okay, nothing is really happening, but a lot is going on. If Another example of like that weird character things they do is I found it interesting that. They start the movie in that recording session yes. with the douchey old country guy. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I don't I don't remember his name at all. But they they, in, they introduce the character as like this complete douchebag. 
Like he's yelling at the piano guy for making mistakes and he's very particular. And he's like a good old then, country American yeah, boy. Yeah, good old country boy. He's, like, yeah. he's like, hey, Phil, what's that? What's that piano's player's name <laughs> over there? He says something about frog. like, he, sound, uh, he says frog. He's like, frog? Well, he sounds more like a dog or something. I thought that was funny. <laughs> but then he's an asshole in this scene, right? Uh-huh. And then that's it, really. You, you just... For the rest of the movie, you never see him as an asshole. You see him as just like this public persona. There's like well, an implication he's that he's he's in yeah. public. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's so weird that they like they they introduce the idea of him being an asshole and then they just don't do anything with it. It's just kind of the end of it, and it kind of speaks to like this weird, like they don't no, no characters are really resolved. No one, there's no plot. There's nothing pushing the story. It's just we're just watching all these people's lives, and it's. Even though I found it boring, I can't really necessarily pin why, and I never necessarily wanted to turn it off or stop watching it, even though I found it boring, which is weird. I could see how someone finds this boring, and I think that's okay, because you definitely have to be in the mood to be with these people and in this place. And I just want to quickly go back before I forget to the BBC reporter, some of my favorite just kind of random, really random moments in the film are where she's in the the uh, car graveyard and there's just this wide shot that's slowly zooming out as she's like narrating her, her own internal monologue. <laughs> and it's like, this is both like pretentious and kind of <laughs> just down to earth. And like, this is... It, it that moments like that where I got to spend a little time with the character and just know who they are mm-hmm. were really great. And I think that's what made the film work for me. But yeah, even the, though I didn't moments... know like the connective tissue bes- between scenes didn't always work for me. I think with the characters, there are moments where the characters do come together. It's not all of them, but it's a good amount of them. And those scenes are typically the best. I think my favorite scene in the movie is when you have that woman who really can't sing who is forced to sing and strip. Mm. It's just so cringe inducing, but it's hard to look away. And I love at the end, she has the one honest person that tells her you can't sing. And she just like flat out denies that person. Um, Apparently when they were filming that scene, all those extras, like everyone who wasn't a, a character was just an extra in that part that they hired just for the night. And they didn't tell them anything except, you know, look like you're had a country bar. And um, she starts singing and all the stuff is recorded on set. There's no like, you know, dubbing or whatever or post. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 um, and she sings the song and people they're you know, they're nodding along, faking to it. And apparently there's a bunch of people who came up to Robert Altman after that. They shot that and they were just like, you're going to dub over that. Right. And Robert Altman just went, no. <laughs> and everyone's just like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> And it's important to bring up the music because I just want to get it out there. I like country music. I like a good amount of country music. I don't think a lot of these songs are that good. There is over an hour of music in this movie. I did not. I I didn't enjoy any of the songs. Oh my God. I liked some of them. Um, The, but the important thing to know is that one, all of the songs in this movie were written and performed by the people in the movie. So everyone who sings, they are singing a song that they wrote. Well, that's great. Um, Actually, no the 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 part the song where like the three, um, band members, yeah, when they sing and then when the guy sings his little 
I'm Easy song. I like yes. that. That was a good song. Was it Bill, Tom, and Mary? Is that what it was? Is Something that the like only that. character names I, I remember? Know. It's Keith Carradine. Well, no, not Keith. Is Keith Carradine the one in Kill Bill? Something like that, yeah. That's Isn't David he... Carradine. Yeah. Keith... Keith Carradine is in this movie. Um, David Carradine's so, the weird B-movie guy, isn't he? Yeah, in Kill yeah. Bill. He's Bill. He's in Kill Bill. I've never seen yeah. Kill Bill. Oh. I have seen Nashville, great. though. Yeah, you have seen Nashville. Um, so, yeah, the two songs that I really like are the I'm Easy. It's a good song. and I think it actually won an Oscar for original song, or is at least nominated. Um, and I like the song at the end. Yeah. Which, because yeah. I feel like this, that ending scene is kind of i know it's the very last scene but it's that ending scene that really made me go from like to love the movie because i kind of understand understood everything um and it's you know it's funny seeing this in 2020 when we've had so many just shootings like this where you just kind of see oh that's the american Mm -hmm. attitude back then too it happens we sing it off pretend like it didn't i don't know about you but i saw it was about halfway through the film when i noticed when he's talking to his mother the shooter and he won't let her, the Shelley Duvall, touch the case. I'm like, well, oh, there's a gun in that case. He's shooting someone. I don't know who's dying, but I knew. Dude, like, I, I, was I, had the, I, I had the opposite reaction. I thought he was just a weirdo with a really nice instrument. Because for me, it the what happened? Are we just going to say what happened at the end? Or yeah, spoilers. Spoiler? Is yeah, spoiler? it's okay. So when he when he shoots the when he shoots the chick at the music festival, that I didn't realize that was happening until like the he shows up at the rally and they show the shot of him in the audience with like a smug face you're like okay he's gonna kill somebody i didn't realize until that point hmm. he didn't look right the whole lost. film maybe in the first yeah. couple scenes he was in but yeah. after that and, and I... if you think about it retro like retroactively looking at the character design i mean it's pretty obvious he's gonna shoot somebody if you just look at him but i, I for some reason i wasn't thinking that way but um See, yeah, it's like, I'm you know, the slicked about. down the, hair and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I'm curious because I want to know what people thought back then, because now with, you know, our violent history, as soon as I saw that guy, I thought, OK, he's probably going to shoot someone. But I want to know the people in 75 were thinking like, oh, this weirdo. I don't think a lot of because one of the interesting stories I heard about this was Bette Midler attended the premiere of this movie. Um, and she, uh, famously hated the ending because she said, you have put my greatest fear onto, uh, the screen. I think about this every time I go on stage. So I wonder if it was something that was in the public consciousness as much as it is now. Might've been a bigger shock. Well, I think it has more to do with, and this is brought up in the film. It has to do with, you know, the shooting of JFK and all that. Yeah. So it was very much not... Not like a Sandy Hook kind of thing. Not like a school shooting kind of thing. That's a yeah. much more recent development. I think that there was a general feeling of after a president has been assassinated, just unease at well the yeah. culture, the politics of America, which, yeah. you know, the film is very much about the politics of America. But then it's also at the very end, it's about that violence carrying over into the music and the culture. Yeah, and um, it's also important to note that this was shot um, in yeah, pre-production also happened during a lot of the Nixon hearings. And it was either the day where they shot this last scene or it was one of the other performance scenes that they shot it on the actual day and time that Nixon resigned. 
So there's a lot of that cynicism that I think goes through the movie, but I think ultimately the end, it's hopeful. That, oh, most certainly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I like about it is that it's not afraid to show the, the dirtier aspects of this picturesque American town, but it's not portraying it as inherently evil. For me, the ending, it when they start singing the song and yeah. when it's that the girl that's been kind of at the corners of at the fringe of everything throughout the yep. the uh the episodes of the narrative mm-hmm. i there was a moment where i was like oh i'm feeling something and then very quickly it went away and i was just like oh well they're going with the optimistic route and quite frankly i cannot be optimistic because i'm standing here <laughs> and we're not any better off than they are there so yeah I think it's good to have that hope, though. It is good. I just... Especially in the 70s, where I'm sure... I mean, I don't know, comparatively, maybe... Oh, comparatively, they had more to complain about. You know, the USSR, Nixon, everything. It was... Yeah. What a time. It's... You know, with the rest of the more cynical movies of the 70s, I think this one is comparatively hopeful. I did really appreciate how the douchey country guy his kind of final moment in the film is he gets shot in the shoulder and then he has that brief moment where like the dude's trying to get him off the stage to help him and stuff. And instead he's like, they can't do that to us to Nashville. He's like, keep singing. They can't stop. us." So he's more like concerned with Nashville's image than his own personal safety, which I thought was kind of like a cool moment for the character. Um, but yeah, that's really all I have to say about that character. He sings some shitty songs. And I don't. Make fun I of really couldn't tell you the names of any characters. I just know what they are. I know they, they all. They, like. they all have like, like just they all usually go by like one word or something. The like, I know only like one character Bud or something. I could tell you who their name is. Hal Philip Walker. He's not a character. He's just the candidate. He's never, seen. never meet. He's an idea, and it's very yep. interesting. And I think mm-hmm. the film is kind of in the way that it's it's a kind of out of nowhere candidate who's kind of anti-establishment. In that way, it's kind of prescient about and it, it could take on new meaning looking at it today in yeah. a world where that kind of candidate maybe exists, maybe doesn't exist. Well, I don't it's, know. It's, I, I also think it's funny is that you whenever you hear his voice over those speakers, it's always something stupid. I love that he wants to change the national anthem. I love. I wrote that down. That was a note. He wanted to change the national anthem. He wanted to eradicate the um, lawyers in Congress. <laughs> the ele- he wanted to eradicate the electoral college. Well, some of this stuff I'm like I- I'd be on board with, and then other stuff like you want to change the national anthem. Could you rearrange your priorities, my dude? Okay, I have I, I a I have a resource of character names from now on, so I can. Well, I mean, technically, people. the movie introduces you to all of them in a weird sitcom I love style. that intro. I was going to reference that. Yeah. I don't I understand funny. how it works at all, but I love it so much. It could have literally been ripped off and just completely used as an advertisement for the soundtrack for the film. But it's somehow it made it into the movie. And I love it. I love it. I love how he's yelling. I love how there's also like someone there's like three different lines of voiceover running at the same time while he's yelling. It's so good. It's great. It's a great intro. And then it the movie starts and you fall asleep. But I mean, at least the movie started. I would say the one thing I have about this movie that I hate is if I could pick anything. 
is I mean I and I get why they did it. I just personally don't like it. Is every time they sing a song, they do the whole goddamn song. So there's <laughs> yeah. like in this movie, there's like 15 full song performances uncut. I think though <sighs> a majority and, of them they something is happening while the songs there's a lot of of there's a lot of intercutting in the film and i get why they did it because a lot of the songs are also like there's some like pertinent subtext in a lot of the songs like uh barbara jean if you listen to barbara jean's songs after the whole moment with her with her husband in the hospital room like a lot of her songs are about like i think she says stuff about like wishing he would leave or wishing i could get out of this but i can't and i'm like oh that's really cool but I love the I love the scene where you see him sing I'm easy mm-hmm. just the way that the mother looks at him through all those. I'm just like, oh, this is nice. This that is, reminded this is me touching. of that was the one moment that reminded me of Inside Lewin Davis. So that's funny. Yeah, the way oh, he's yeah. positioned. Too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely reminded me of that. Uh, and the one where the the famous singer is just having that breakdown. <laughs> wait, 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 that wait. one. The one where she just starts rambling. Where she's on the, they're on like oh, the boat. Oh yeah, she starts and, going uh, on about how her mother and her. Yeah. Went to it. Yeah. <laughs> where she hears sad. about these kids on the radio. I'm just like, this is hard to watch, but in a really good way. Yeah. Really because well you can acted. see the band. All around. It, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of great actors in this movie. I love Ned Beatty. I love the girl who plays Ned Beatty's wife. Shelley Duvall didn't say anything. I didn't I like recognize her. it was Ned Beatty for a while. I don't know why I didn't yeah. recognize him. And as soon as I, I like, it clicked in my head, now. I'm like, oh. Yeah. Um, I think it's also interesting that this movie actually did really well at the box office. It did. It was, a, it was a pretty big hit. That's actually very surprising. It's really weird. It's not surprising when you consider that in that time, the box office hits were like today, like the movies that A24 is putting yeah. out today were the box office hits in the 60s yes, this, and 70s. I guess that's true. Yeah, like The Godfather was, year, was the highest yeah. grossing film of its year. I wish we could go back mm-hmm. to those times, but you know. Oh, that'd be well, awesome. That, yeah. Se- yeah, this is two years before Jaws, so it's not that surprising. I just find it surprising that something this unconventional and strange yeah, it, did so well. It didn't always, the, the connectiveness of the scenes and the characters didn't always do it for me, and I kind of lost, when it, when it transitioned between scenes, it sometimes dropped me. Sometimes when the singing, it my attention waned a little bit. Never to the point where I was dising, fully disengaged and like paying attention to something else. But that was, the I think, the one area where the film is built like that. Specifically, obviously. But it doesn't necessarily work in all circumstances for every person watching it. I agree. I agree with this sentiment because one thing I did notice um, that I was going to bring up was there's a couple points where like it cuts to a new moment for a character or something where it just doesn't seem like um, chronologically that would make sense. Like there's a part where I don't remember the scene prior to it, but it cuts to the BBC lady at a car graveyard Mm -hmm. and she's Mm -hmm. like talking to herself and stuff. And it's it's a cute little moment, whatever, blah, blah, blah. A couple of scenes pass, like maybe 30 minutes, and then it's her at the bus graveyard doing the same thing. And I'm kind of like, that seems like it would be the same day. Or like, it seems like if it were a 10 hour long episode that w- or a 10 hour long pilot, that would have been like the same episode or the same kind of yeah. moment. 
But because they're so separated, it kind of took me out of the film. Um, that was the only instance I have of an example, but I think I do remember like another time where that happened too. The structure is very strange. It seems to go wherever it thinks it's going to be the most interesting. I have, yeah. again, it's a movie that on all levels, I have no idea what makes it work, but I think exactly. it works really well. I, did, I agree. And that the one thing I found very interesting, and I'm not sure what thematic implications it has, is there's a lot of intercutting between different bars and nightclubs where you often are in like the nice posh uh nightclub like where the the woman does her singing and then she's forced to strip tease like you're in that where it's this mm-hmm. this fundraiser for the political campaign and that's intercut with the sequence in the other one where it's the the three band members that are going up on on stage and that happens multiple times in the film where kind of a lower class um, bar uh, music venue is juxtaposed between the other establishments that the the political candidates are visiting, that the stars are visiting. And yeah. I don't um, know what that means, but it was interest. I liked that decision to intercut those scenarios. Well, it's also partly to do with the fact that at this time, Nashville is a much smaller city. Mm-hmm. Nashville, as far I was reading interviews with the screenwriter, and she said that basically that in 75, Nashville is still like a hub for country music, but it was a lot smaller to where you would run into people like two or three times a day. Whereas now Nashville is still just as renowned for its country music, but it's expanded like five or six times it's a big the city. size it used to be. Yeah. It was it was a it was a big city business with a small town um, mentality back then, and now it's just big city both ways. But yeah, it is interesting. A lot of interesting editing choices here. Well, any uh, closing thoughts on the movie Nashville? Um, I think it is definitely worth watching. I think it is definitely good. But before I can have my full thoughts on um it's greatness i think i need to watch it again and i think that's really the only fair way to do that because there's just way far too dense to um do that on one watch i think that's just unfair to the film and i think the film deserves more from me so i will definitely give it a rewatch and i would recommend anyone that hasn't watched it that's listening please do because it is definitely thought-provoking I'm just going to say that if you're interested in American history, in American politics, in music, this is a must-see in terms of a time capsule from the era. And it you have to be in the mood to watch it. And if you're not, you I'm really not do. sure how much you're going to get out of it. So I, I, I surprisingly can, I can that. <laughs> and very happily got more out of it than I thought I was going to. And I, you know... Robert Altman, he's a good director. I just, you know, he's just weird. Yeah, just a weird <laughs> dude. Just a, weird just a really weird dude. I love it. I love it more with each passing day. I uh, it went straight to like the very, very bottom of my top thirty list, and I think it's only going to go up from there. It is. It is dense. It is fascinating. It is a miracle of both editing and production. I have. I couldn't explain to you why it works. I can only explain to you why I like it. Great movie. Five out of five. Great movie. Oh, all right. Nick, we're going to kick now you let's off. Let's get into the real good movie, Jacob. 
I'm just gonna. I, I want to preface before starting this next discussion that they gave me the option to also watch this film, and um, I watched the trailer, and I then decided not to. So. Oh, so he's in Team Jacob. I am in Team Jacob. You don't know what team I'm on. I'm so. Excited. I've also heard. I've heard he very polarizing. I've heard very polarizing opinions about John Cassavetes, though. So I mean, I will be interested in listening he's to this one. He's an interesting guy. Have you seen a John Cassavetes movie at all? No. Okay, cool. How many have you seen? Three? This is... I've seen Faces, uh, A Woman woman Under under the the Influence, influence? Killing of Chinese Bookie, and this. So this is four now. Okay, so this is my second. All right. So the the next movie, I'll I'll just let Nick stick around on this recording to he'll be the peanut gallery. He can just throw He's in go to school. comments. If whenever he He's needs to leave, he'll class leave. Class at six, yeah. So we watched Opening Night, which is a nineteen seventy seven movie. We're just watching seventies movies this week. And it's by the director John Cassavetes. It is about a woman who there is a play that is currently still rehearsing but it's like off broadway before it goes like for its opening night there's a woman she is she sees one of her fans get hit fans gets hit by a jacob is searching the ether for this plot (laughs) and she sees this fan die and then starts going crazy I Chandler, I have been so excited for this discussion. <laughs> I I kind of have as well because I have absolutely no idea. Like I last week, I had no idea what you would think about Yee. This week, yeah, this is the true. Like I don't know what the hell you're gonna say. So what did you think about opening night? I liked it. <laughs> I might have liked it better than Chinese Bookie by a little bit. And can I say just off the bat? 99% of why I like this movie is even if you hate it, even if it makes no sense, even if the low budget style just irritates you to your core, Gina Rollins is amazing in this movie. That part is objectively true. Okay. <laughs> so I w- She is so good in this movie. I will preface, I will say as my summary of my thoughts on opening night, um, it's a common phrase that's been going around recently. Thanks. I hate it. <laughs> and I, I mean that 100%. I figured you'd would. Thank you, John Cassavetes, for making this film. I found it to be a extremely enlightening experience watching it and finishing it and forcing myself to do so. I don't like it's well directed. It's everything. Is it though? <laughs> I hate this film. I found no enjoyment in watching this movie. Imagine, okay, so imagine you have like a gradient where you're going from black to white. Yeah. Except that this gradient is from I'm okay watching this to I'm suffering through this. And slowly throughout the course of this movie. Wow. I slowly get more and more suffering until maybe the last 15 minutes I started enjoying myself again. That's where I enjoyed myself a little less. I won't lie. Hey, real quick. I do actually have to get going. So do you just want to record an outro that you can put at the end of the last segment so that you guys can just do this one without me? I guess we'll so. Just use that. Sure, maybe I'll just leave this in like this. 
Oh God. I'm trying to not please edit. Don't, please so. don't, please don't do that. Okay. Well, all right, Nick, you want to say goodbye <laughs> to the folks? Goodbye. Everyone that listens to this podcast. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Well, um, thank you for uh, coming on. I know, I know more about movies than it sounds. Um, but they talk over me. So, whoa. Yeah. Um, I have nothing. What do I have to plug? I was going to say podcast is on my podcast is on hiatus. I was going to say plug the senior showcase, but that's not a thing. That's not official yet. That's in the works. But if you are interested in supporting the ASU film community, I'm the president of the AFA, the ASU film association. And we have our AFA film festival every year. It'll be on Twitch this year, May 1st. It's a donation drive for Corona support. So please show up to that on twitch.tv slash asu filmmakers and that's um that's really all i have i don't know i edit film sometimes if you want me to edit yours email me after he's that's, done uh, after i'm done with yours two cuts and, and, two the, changes. And, the, and the four others you know on the intro to episode two chandler made a joke about how meaning of death is not done yet and we're still here i mean we thought of one idea after picture locking the film that I just have to implement now. Two, two ideas. Forgot about the well, other. One. It's gonna I be great. Think, yeah, it is. It is pretty great so far. So hopefully these make it even better. But all right, all right. Thank you for having me. I hope I can be on again to talk about well, um, another country epic. Maybe of South course. by Southwest twenty twenty online. Perhaps uh the the famous country epic Lawrence of Arabia. That is a Arabia is a country. It is a country epic. Yep. I okay, could not think of more well. inappropriate music for that movie than country music, but okay. Oh dear God. This will this will never end if I don't say goodbye. Right, so goodbye. goodbye. I love goodbye. you guys. Thank you for having me. I'll see you later. So I'm super glad that we finally have our first like strong split take. Split take. Yeah. Yeah. This is good. Uh, I yeah. I mean I I had a hunch when I was watching Nashville that you might not like it. I was pleasantly surprised. I knew as I was watching Woman Under the Influence that you would not like this movie. Um, and I gotta say, I there's definitely some things about this movie that I just find bizarre and just not great. The editing is super weird. It just seems like they're missing a lot of footage. Uh, I really think when she kills the ghost, it's just schlocky and dumb <laughs> but i just think gina rollins is so good in this movie that maybe i don't even know maybe the writing's bad but she says everything so convinced convincingly and she just has this perpetual pain in every ounce of her character that i don't know i can't say i hated it i actually kind of liked it um I I have a very opposite opinion of where I was not convinced and I don't yeah. necessarily think it was Gina Rowland's performance. I think it was on a script level that the film was misguided and I'm just going to say in general that it wasn't the low budget style because I like low budget stuff too. It wasn't anything like that. It wasn't the acting. It wasn't the directing. All this stuff. John Cassavetes is a good director, despite how much I <laughs> suffered through this film. What what really got to me during this viewing experience was that 
I go into movies wanting to feel stuff, wanting to feel emotions and be shown, feel things that I don't feel in my normal everyday life. Uh, Yeah. I am a very um, just kind of level kind of person. I don't get super excited or super angry or super anything at anything. So movies are my opportunity to feel something more than just, eh, I'm living life. It's good. Right? Yeah. Uh, There is one emotion. There is one emotion I never want to feel in a film. And that is embarrassment and cringe. Oh! This film was nothing but that. And I hated it. I hated feeling like someone was going to embarrass themselves constantly. And my other biggest issue was the fact that a woman under the influence... Gina Rollins gives a brilliant performance. And I felt like in opening night, she also gives a brilliant performance, but the script is so lacking and yeah, the basic substance of the, of the plot doesn't provide the, the platform for her to act in that character in the way that I want that in the way that yeah. I like. And I, the only thing I could think of for half the film was like, Guys, this woman is mentally unstable, unhinged. Why are you going through with this production? Like, if I was a director or a screenwriter, night one of pre-production, when the actress starts going off script, is drunk, and can't, like, stay... I disagree with this, the plot of this film, on a fundamental level. Yeah, Well, the thing is about that is that I got the... Okay, so obviously you can tell by the way she interacts with a lot of the characters, specifically Ben Gazzara, that she knows these people pretty well. Yes, they're all good friends. This is not... Yes. The way that she acts with Ben Gazzara and with John Cassavetes, um, you can tell that they're kind of used to this. And I think the way that Ben Gazzara, like sort of observes her when she shows up to opening night just shit-faced you know he like refuses to let give give her help he refuses to let the other stage hands help her up i got the sense that they're kind of used to this they go way back and if any attempts they had at fixing her didn't help haven't gone through and they she they just see her as a lost cause um i feel like this is kind of typical there is Obviously, there are exceptions, but I feel like a lot of people who work in filmmaking or any sort of theater type experience can tell you that there is a clear and defined ratio between mental stability and acting talent. Yeah, And I definitely think she embodies that whole crazy genius persona. Um, But yeah, there are some moments where it's just hard to look at. But I like that it's making me feel that. But I didn't find it nearly as cringe-inducing as you did. There were some moments, like, when she just, like, leaves in the middle of one of the rehearsal performances. And you have that other guy who's just sort of improving, like, oh, come back, sweetheart. And she's just kind of having a little breakdown in the hallway. Or when they tried to lower the curtain on her, and she's clearly not having it. But I think she plays these moments really well to where... It's hard to look away from, but I'm still interested. Yeah, 
I just wasn't interested by the performance at all. It wow. It like I was watching the the last ten minutes where they're spoilers. Obviously, I'm not sure anyone cares, but yeah. the last ten minutes when it's the opening night on Broadway and they com- go completely off book. I yeah. finally was able to relax because like they've just gone so far off book. I don't care anymore. They're making fools of themselves. But I like the entire the entire film. I could not understand for a second or believe that an audience would not pick up on the fact that something is wrong with the production going on, especially okay. on opening night. And I'm that was just comp- I couldn't believe my suspension of disbelief was broken and it the was it something some kind of like commentary on audiences where they're just like anything thrown on stage is is brilliant art i don't know but even if it was a commentary on on audiences being stupid i still didn't find it enjoyable in any way i don't think it was a commentary on audiences being stupid i think it was just sort of a more personal type of film that reflects on age i found the central conflict to be interesting you have gina rollins who really needs to get into character understand her motivations to perform well and obviously this character is something that is close to her because it's about a woman aging i like the metaphor of the second woman that you know you at one point your young self dies and you become the second woman I like that because she can't cope with her own age, she can't find the motivations for this character. I'm not entirely sure the insinuations at the end of the movie when she goes off book and sort of pokes fun at her own age. Obviously, that upsets the writer to the point where she leaves, but she senses the audience liking it and comes back. I'm not entirely sure the message behind that. Maybe it was just to say that audiences don't want to be depressed by the realities of aging. Because you have a lot of characters who don't want to face that, like Ben Gazzara talking about dating a 19-year-old and being uncomfortable taking off his shirt in front of her. I think that it handles, it contemplates a lot of these themes. And it would, almost it would have been better if it didn't try to answer these questions, but it answers the questions in a way that I found overall unsatisfactory, albeit entertaining. But I'll be honest, to your point, I, I maybe it's because I watched this movie in two halves, but at the ending when they're going I did off too. book, yeah, in the ending when they were going off book, I did not realize that she was going off book until the very end. I didn't see it definitely felt more improvisational and a little hammy and goofy compared to the rest. But I don't know. I didn't feel like that. My my s- disbelief was suspended, um, but I do think it's sloppy in a few areas. Like I mentioned, the whole. I liked the metaphor of the teenager, but the way that she was sort of presented as being like a literal force, a hallucination, it just didn't work for me, especially when she starts fighting the, with the ghost. I felt that the expression of that idea lagged behind the idea itself. Like, Cassavetes had this idea of this young woman, this young fan, haunting her. But the ultimate expression, the way he uses film and editing to express it, didn't quite match up with what he had in mind. Yeah. 
I also found the way that he shoots a lot of the performances to be kind of boring. Visually and editing wise, I, I found this kind of boring. I There were so many shots of someone just walking somewhere. Yeah, like, a lot of walking, fuck, her walking up to the apartment. Out. Yeah. I don't want it. Yes. I don't need it. Cut yes. to the meat of scenes. I, I there's a there's a something that my film professors told me um the best one that i had told me you cut in just after uh you cut in too late like when everything has already started getting interesting and you cut out early before it starts getting boring that's yeah you want to err on that side and yep. this film did the opposite it well, felt like something the... i have done with dream catchers yeah i hate saying <laughs> that but it's just like I I understand this need to be with the characters and be with the performance, yeah. but I think it really needed just to be tightened up. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is that you can tell. I do think John Cassavetes is a good director, but you can tell that he is an actor before he is a director because he really knows how to shoot performances. He understands where the close-ups need to be, who to follow, what, to cut to but when you see like the action in killing a chinese bookie i thought was strange and not all that interesting the shot composition is okay but a lot of the set design is weird camera angles are not that great and he shoots the most mundane things that you can maybe attribute these little mundane things to being character building stuff but it's not interesting enough to justify their inclusion especially all those scenes of gina Rollins walking up the stairs to her apartment <laughs> there's a line and, that the 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 actor who plays the husband in the play yes the the old no okay so not john cassavetes so john cassavetes the one who plays, plays the old the first husband yes the ex-husband him. with the kids yeah there's yeah. a part right before the climax where he's in the green room with all the other actors and he says the line it seemed he has like this little speech about how like she seems okay and he says, and I quote, it seemed like it was real, right? Where he's kind of rationalizing what she was doing and trying to find meaning in that. And when he said, it seemed like it was real, I laughed out loud and said, yeah, really crazy. And I, can, <laughs> I cannot, like, I don't see the narrative through line from the beginning where she seems mostly stable, kind of an alcoholic. I wouldn't but even that's it. see, yeah. Mostly stable. She and then she sees this girl die. And then suddenly the action of slapping on stage because she gets slapped in the play just sends her into hysteria on the stage. And I I think like you could rationalize it as being real acting. But I think if you were to look at any other movie, no one has ever gone from zero to 100 percent crazy in such a quick turn. I, yeah, that well, I would argue she was kind of not well off from the start but i didn't get that sense as much like yeah. i could feel it but it wasn't there was no gradual introduction yeah. of it and i prefer that much more because with a, a woman under the influence that's much more how it is where you're slowly introduced to this idea that this character is just out of her mind yeah and it, it that's also gina Rollins, right didn't work for me yes yeah she's okay. a great actor i'm yeah uh yeah I think, I don't know. I John Cassavetes does not have bad actors. I will tell. I will say that he is very good with who he casts. 
brings a lot of dimension to all the characters. I just don't think he had enough formal. He just doesn't understand the the economy of filmmaking. Um, but I think ultimately for me, the pros outweighed the cons. I think it's thematically resonant, if a little jumbled. It's consistently engaging in the performance scenes. It, like a lot of Cassavetti's movies, just needed trimming. And that's kind of what I like. It's weird because I've never been blown away by a Cassavetti's movie, but I'm always excited to watch one because it's such a mixed bag of really interesting things that he does. Unlike anybody else, followed by a bunch of like film school 101 shit that you should know by now. This movie, though, was the tipping point to where the next Criterion sell. I'm buying the box set. Really? I'm really interested. Yep, I'm interested. It's got faces, shadows, a woman under the influence, killing the Chinese bookie, and opening night. Um, He's an interesting filmmaker. Yes, yes. that is That much is true. And I just wrote down... I'm going to just say that I think... So we're gonna get we're gonna get into the does this deserve to be on the BFI list? But yeah. I'm gonna talk about in general this film. If you were to show it to a wider audience, because I know there's a lot of people out there that like it a lot. Yeah, I think if you show it to a wider audience, I think they're gonna be somewhere in between, maybe closer to me than they are going to be to people who love it. Yes, and my general and- reaction to it was I wrote it down specifically, mildly mildly interesting kind of embarrassing thoroughly infuriating and thematically curious (laughs) and i mean that i mean that the thematics the the stuff that cassavetes has to say about the theater is interesting there there's interesting the writer character that's one of the most interesting characters for me those scenes with her Gina Rowland's in the writer, I yes. think, are the best scenes in the movie. By far, yes. That's yes. interesting, because that's the only time I got a feel for what the writer... One of my problems was that I never got to feel what the play was about that Gina Rowland's had a problem with. I never got to yeah. feel that... I do oh, feel she like has... that scene, yeah, that argument comes in a little too late. Yeah, it's just... I never got the sense that Gina Rowland's had a point other than she was just feeling self-conscious about her age. And I would have liked more of what was the play about? I'm curious. I have no idea. Um, but I think that's kind of why I like it, though, is I feel like it's I don't want to see the whole play. <laughs> no, obviously not. Yeah. It just seems like a two act play, though, because those we only ever get to see the scene where she confronts the ex-husband and the scene with her current husband. So I don't think it's all that good of a play to begin with. But I think that's kind of the point. <laughs> Yeah, it it also at the end, her shift into, you know, she's super drunk. She arrives and then suddenly on stage, she starts actually getting into it with the with John Cassavetes. It just felt too disconnected from the rest of the, the movie where I did not see any logical progression of her character to the point where yeah oh there's now she's able to successfully ad-lib on stage a new character in this play there's a lot of plot development that happens in between the lines 
sometimes to its dismay. Um, I also think it's interesting, the history of this movie, that it got put together. Um, he couldn't find a distributor. He screened it for a few people. No one liked it. It got, I think it got into Cannes, but no one liked it at Cannes either. It didn't really come together until around the time Cassavetes died. They decided to scrounge it up, get it all together, refine it, um, remaster it. And then it wasn't officially released until 1991. Because hmm. I think he died in the late 80s. Um, yeah. But you know, it's also important to note that he was married to Gina Rowland. Yeah. Rollins. Yeah. And I think that their scenes are good together for that reason. But yeah, he's an interesting filmmaker. Very niche. A lot of infuriating things about his movies. But overall, I think he is he's a lot more fun to talk about than to actually watch his movies. I certainly have enjoyed the conversation. So, yeah. And I think I think we don't even need to go to this part. But Jacob, do you feel it deserves to be on the BFI top 100 list? It's it's far too divisive, I think. If I'm stepping out of how much I yeah. didn't enjoy it, I, I don't see... It's interesting on a thematic level, but I don't see it's, much utility yeah. in it besides that. It's not even... Yeah, I don't know. It def, No from me as well. The more and more we talk about it, I still like it, but I actually think I still do like Killing the Chinese Bookie a little bit more. Um, I think John Cassavetes is important. And I want to reserve my reserve uh, the uh, notion that he should be on this list until later. But that's, we have at that's least a two no more from, from me, him, dog. So okay, maybe I'll just wait. But this I'm looking one forward to husbands. Not. That's later. Oh, I haven't even heard of that one. No, there Criterion's yeah. putting that out recently. Oh wow, yeah, yeah. The Criterion's put out like all, pretty much every John Cassavetes movie. It's weird. Yeah. At least somebody likes him. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He is an important filmmaker. He is important. I'm not denying. He's influential. So next week we have another. I'm so excited. You don't know what's coming, Chandler. You have no no. idea. Have you seen it? No. Oh, God. What is it? This is is a behemoth of cinema. Of silent cinema. It's long and quiet. What is it? This is the this is the 1916 movie by D.W. Griffith, Intolerance. Oh! <laughs> Griffith, what is it called? Intolerance. Oh, if it's if it's intolerant by D.W. Griffith standards, it must be great. So I am I'm gonna try to oh, schedule. <laughs> I'm gonna try to schedule our good friend Nathan Shuckman. No, don't do this to no, Nathan. No, not not for intolerance. I'm going to oh, do another okay. thing like we did this week. Oh, we're going to recommend something else? Where here's my suggestion to you, and it'd be interesting to do it live on the podcast. What if we did like a a Studio Ghibli retrospective where we didn't necessarily watch a movie, but each of us rewatched a movie that Studio Ghibli has done or watched one for the first time, and we just kind of talk about have a general conversation about those movies? Next week? Because I feel like that's something light for the current atmosphere of You're Corona. right. We could do something else, but that was my right. initial impression. No, that's that's good. I like that. Okay. So are we both watching the same movie? Well, we would watch Intolerance. And I figure... Well, yes, yes, yes. We'll figure out whatever we're going to watch. It might not be Studio Ghibli, but I think... 
I think some wholesome cinema yes. might be necessary. That would be nice. I agree. I agree with you there. So, uh, well, because you say retrospective, and that makes it sound like we're watching every studio. No, I just mean like our general opinions. Just kind of have like a free form conversation about that's movies. Nothing goes as nothing goes with Studio Ghibli like D. W. Griffith. (laughs) It would be one of the oddest pairings yet. Oh man, could you imagine Birth of a Nation and My Neighbor Totoro in the same (laughs) podcast? That that's a that's a double feature for the books right there. A double feature made in heaven. <laughs> oh. oh God! Well, we'll figure it I'm, out. I just want to point out, I have never been less enthused to watch a movie than I am for D. W. Griffith's Intolerable. Same. I am so painfully dreading this. I'm part part of me is excited because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to. Uh, project but i feel like we might finally have a contender for worst on this list i don't remember what weird race movie was we saw earlier what was imitation of life yes (laughs) that is currently sitting at the bottom and i can't wait for the throne to be stolen ironically from dw griffith uh well the the selection of films after that is really interesting okay nothing like super like great but I mean that because I haven't seen any of them. I'm just really interested to watch them. They're just an interesting selection. That's all I'll say. I don't think I've seen... Uh, I don't know how many of the movies on this list I have seen before this podcast. I think at some point you said it was like 30, 40%. I, I mean, just the ones that we've talked about. Oh. Yeah. Know. Anyway. So that's about all it. Right. That's, Sounds uh, good. Yeah. yeah. Not too bad. A little longer of an episode, but we, I think we had a pretty good discussion on Nashville. We did. I do enjoy Nashville. Yeah. All right. Well, and we'll, we'll make it up next week by making intolerable a five minute discussion. Yes. Yes. 